those of us who have been here a while uh, know that every year we we go through the entire life of Jesus in, in our worship times, and then we go to the resurrection and ascension of Christ, and then after that comes the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we have several services about that and about the filling of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and then we move into the second coming and we doctrines of grace and the attributes of God, and then we start gearing up for Christmas again. So we do this every year. It's a good reminder, hopefully, every year of the whole history of redemption and how important each member of the Trinity is in our salvation. Thank you for doing such a good job, Ben, reminding us of that this morning, the work of the Spirit, our Comforter. Well, I guess I better get on what I'm supposed to be up here for now. Uh, Remember, I, this is a couple of weeks ago now, because I was absent last week due to illness. Uh, I'm doing a lot better, and thank you for your prayers. But you remember in our previous study, we took time to examine uh, various scripture passages that referred both to this age and the age to come. And we saw that we're still in this age, and we're awaiting the age to come. But this morning, we're going to see that we're also in what is called the last days. And it's my assumption that if we are still in this age, while also being told that we are in the last days, then we must be in the last days of this age. That seems fairly obvious to me anyway. Uh, And I hope to show this morning that why I think, at least, this is indeed the case as we make our way through a number of key New Testament passages dealing with the last days. And uh, I I decided that this is going to become a three-part message because next week I'm going to talk about a little bit, um, are there more than these two ages, this age and the age to come? Does the Bible indicate more ages than that? And and what can we know, if anything, about when this age began? Um, My... my, uh, understanding of both of those things is pretty sketchy. I'm not sure the Bible's very clear on just how many ages there are, when they were, or maybe even when this age began. Uh, Although it certainly began before Jesus came, the first time, and as we see this morning, ushered in what are known as the last days, I'm assuming of this age. Must be a long age if the last days have been so long. But uh, more on that next week. I'm just trying to give you the lay of the land. And, of course, all of this is just because I I was ready to teach on 1 Timothy 4.1 next, and it mentioned the latter times. (laughs) And and, and I'm trying to give us an understanding of what Paul was thinking when he used that phrase. And we're going to look at that passage briefly again today. Uh, And then hopefully in a couple of weeks I'll be able to really get back into 1 Timothy and start back with 1 Timothy 4.1 and uh, dive into that passage a little better. Before I get into our first text for this morning, though, I, as always, feel a very desperate need to pray. So let's, let's do that. Pray with me, if you will. Holy Father, I, I ask on behalf of every believer in this room this morning uh, for the filling of your Holy Spirit, we thank you, we praised you this morning that the Comforter has come, that that our Lord Jesus kept his promise that he would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And everyone who's a believer here was baptized 
with the Spirit, with the Spirit at conversion by our Lord Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit and that you would give us understanding as we look into your Word. Help us to be careful in our interpretation of it. Help us all to be good hearers of the Word. Um, give us the kind of wisdom that can only come from your Holy Spirit. We recognize that we're only believers because your Holy Spirit illuminated our minds and, and, and worked in our hearts so that we could see and enter the kingdom. And, and we know that we're utterly dependent now upon your spirit to give us understanding. So please do this for us, we ask, for your glory and for our good. And we ask this in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we get into this... Uh, theme for today, which is really the last days of, of this age, as we await the age to come, I think the first passage that we need to look at, it's actually part of the passage that uh, kicked off our worship today, uh, because this happened after the Holy Spirit was given, and uh, at Pentecost, and Peter was preaching, and he was explaining why these various believers were speaking in all these languages and everybody was hearing them speak in their own tongues. And some people thought that there was, had to be something wrong with these Christians. Uh, apparently there were a few people that didn't quite understand. And so Peter explained what was really happening uh, when the crowd witnessed what was going on. And I'm going to read uh, verses 14 through 17 of Acts chapter 2 because this is where Peter mentions this important phrase, the last days, and clearly indicates that we're in them. Uh, and he does it by interpreting a certain text from Joel chapter 2, as we'll see. So here we are in Acts 2, beginning in verse 14, and I hope you all have an outline of, with all the scriptures we're going to be looking at today. It should make it easier for you. I made them available on the table out there. <clears throat> I'll begin reading in verse 14, Acts 2. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. God says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. So what's clear about this, and he's citing Joel 2.28, which we'll read in a second. What's clear about it, however, is that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that Joel is talking about what he is calling the last days, and that what was happening at Pentecost means that the last days are here. That's clear, it seems to me, from this text. So whenever the last days are, we're in them, right? Whenever they began, they were here then, right? And it seems to be that they came in some way in, the, in conjunction with Jesus having given the Spirit. It's associated in some way with that, right? Now, this, this citation from Joel is from Joel 2.28, as I said. It's a messianic prophecy. Um, but it's not exactly there as he cites it. In Joel 2.28, the prophet Joel said this, 
and it shall come to pass afterward. He doesn't say in the last days. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now, the Hebrew text says afterward. And actually, the Septuagint, which was the Bible that was most quoted by the apostles, as you know, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, it doesn't say the last days here either. It says afterward too. Um, so, why did... Peter cite it this way. Well, he obviously wasn't trying to cite the text exactly as it was given. What he was doing, apparently, was giving you his interpretation of what afterward meant as he cited the text. And of course, being an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's allowed to do that. Uh, he's giving us an inspired interpretation of what that means, of how we should understand it. I think that the Net Bible is correct when it observes that the phrase in the last days is not quoted from Joel, but represents Peter's interpretive explanation of the current events as falling in the last days. There can be no doubt then that we are in the messianic period foretold by Joel. Peter explicitly tells us that we're in this period and that we must understand this period as what he calls the last days, that the afterword that was being spoken of by the prophet Joel is the last days. This is also confirmed by the author of Hebrews, this idea that we're in the last days. As I understand what he says, um, I think he leaves us in no doubt that the last days began with the first advent of our Lord Jesus and the events surrounding that, right, which would include the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Here's what it says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days, by the way, that's the same Greek phrase that was used by Peter on the day of Pentecost. He has in the last days, the New King James takes it as these last days because it's clear that we're in them, right? He has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So it seems pretty clear to me uh, that the last days were ushered in by our Lord Jesus at his first coming. And there were certain events associated with the coming of the last days, right? Jesus' virgin birth, his sinless life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension, his giving the Holy Spirit, um, his reigning at the Father's right hand, beginning there, right? All of this is associated with the ushering in of the last days. This is Jesus brought in the last days, right? And we're in them, according to Peter and according to the author of Hebrews. Now, several of the apostles also tell us about what we can expect life to be like in these last days. Obviously, from what we've seen, we can expect to be able to have revelation from God through Jesus Christ that in previous times people didn't get to have. We have the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the gospel 
clearly revealed in a way, and the Father and the Spirit and the work of the triune God revealed clearly in a way that heretofore it had not been revealed, right? And uh, we get to experience the powerful working of the Spirit in our lives in a way that previous generations didn't quite get to experience. We don't understand all of that because we know in some way they had the Spirit, right? And he brought conviction and so forth and salvation, but there clearly is a difference, right? <clears throat> Even if we can't quantify it in every way. So we know there's great privileges that come with living in the last days as a Christian. But it's also a very dangerous time to live as Christians. Um, there's great temptations in these last days. And James, um, the Apostle James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, remember they, they shared the same father, or, or mother, rather, earthly mother, they had a different father. Uh, in James 5, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Yikes. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Now he's talking to people that are alive while he's writing, saying they've heaped up treasure in the last days, so obviously he also thinks we're in the last days. Um, but he also thinks they're definitely not a good time for heaping up earthly treasures and for making that the goal of your life. <laughs> Instead, they're time for seeking heavenly treasure, as our Lord Jesus also so emphatically urged in his own teaching, recorded in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, beginning in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up treasures uh, for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. James has a problem with people's hearts being set on earthly treasures. <laughs> and that's the wrong response to living in the last days. So it would seem to me that although men have always been tempted to heap up treasures for themselves, uh, the last days were a time when men are tempted more than ever, perhaps, to rely on and store up earthly treasures and our Lord Jesus has warned us against this temptation, reminding us that heavenly treasures ought to be our true goal. The Apostle Paul also describes the last days as a time of great spiritual warfare and apostasy in his first epistle to Timothy. And that's the passage I'm going to read now that all of this whole series started from one phrase in this passage, actually. First uh, Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1, says this. Paul reminds us, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. So he's recalling a prophecy they're aware of about what they can expect to happen in the latter times. And it would seem to me that this is just another way of talking about the last days. I don't know, whether, I don't know what else he could mean. If it's, if it's not the last days that he's talking about here. But 
Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So he's describing and reminding the Ephesian believers, remember, Timothy is in Ephesus when he receives this letter from Paul, 1 Timothy. And it's a letter directed toward Timothy, but obviously intended for the whole church there, right? Through Timothy. He wants to remind the Ephesian believers and all of us that the latter times, which we're in, the last days, uh, are dangerous times. Uh, a lot of people are going to depart from the faith during these times. Now, why... Why say things, though, that are kind of like the previous age or the previous, the time in this age previous to the last days? All this was already going on. Why point it out now? Why feel the need to point it out? Why are they giving us warnings about terrible things in the last days that were already going on before the last days? It's not like people got greedy only in the last days. It's not like spiritual warfare started only in the last days. Why do they feel it's so necessary to point this out? Well, I think probably because Christians who have experienced the salvation in Christ and understand that in the last days they had this wonderful privileges uh, and this great message of the gospel has come to the world need to understand that that doesn't mean that the world's going to get better automatically. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have the same kind of temptations that have always been around. In fact, what is implied is that they're going to get worse, not better. And so it's not a time for letting down your guard. It's a time for being even more on your guard the last days. That's the way I take it. That's, that's what seems to me to be happening in these kinds of passages if we kind of look at the totality of Scripture and try to have a scriptural perspective when we read them, right? And we try to interpret Scripture by Scripture or weave these texts together and seek how they harmonize, because we know they do, right? Because God doesn't contradict himself, and that means everything that he says has to fit together, even if sometimes we don't know how. There are many mysteries still for us, many questions we can't answer. I'll get into a couple of those maybe next week, as I said, but... There are also things that are clearly revealed. And what's clearly revealed here is that we live in dangerous times, even though they're times of great privilege and revelation from God. The devil hasn't become less interested in destroying the truth with the coming of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the giving of the Spirit, right? If anything, he's become more interested in that, more desperate. So the spiritual warfare is going to be Probably even worse. The, the Apostle Paul, Paul uses yet another phrase. Uh, Paul used the latter times. Uh, he speaks of the last times. And this is another reason I think that Paul must, when he spoke of the latter times, had the last days in mind. They could use different ways of speaking about this period of time. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, speaking of Jesus, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. Well, these must be the last days he talked about at Pentecost, right? And, and that the author of Hebrews had in mind 
when he said that Jesus brought this revelation from God, unlike what came before, right? He must be talking about the same thing, but he calls it the last times. He, Jesus was indeed uh, foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, when we've seen how dangerous the last times are, you can see why such reminders are needed. However dangerous they are, the last times, we have hope through faith in God. We don't need to be frightened. We need to be on our guard. We need to understand the temptations that are around us. But we don't need to be frightened. God is on our side. And again, as we saw in the book of Hebrews, so also here, we see that the last times are connected with the first advent of our Lord Jesus. So again, it's, it's clear that we're in the last times now. But what about, what about those couple of passages that seem to many believers to indicate that the last times are something that are still future? There are a couple of passages that could be read this way. So what do we do with those? When it's pretty clear from what we've seen so far that we're in the last days, what do you do with texts that seem at first glance to indicate that the last days are something yet to come? Or at least that they're taken that way by a number of believers. So I want to deal with those, those texts now because I don't take them that way. Um, but, uh, and I'll tell you why, although it, it won't bother me if you do take them that way. Um, the first of these passages is found in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, where the Apostle Paul writes this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Kind of sounds like Solomon, that last one, huh? At the end of his life. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, once again, everything he's described, and look throughout the Old Testament, you see that stuff everywhere. It's, that stuff's been going on throughout this age, whenever this age began, right? It certainly was going on before Jesus came, and the last times, the last days came. But it, it, it seems that believers need a reminder that it's, that's going to keep happening, but maybe even worse. Now, how do we take this first statement, but know this, that in the last days per, perilous times will come? Some people think this must mean that the last days are yet future, at least to the time right, that Paul is writing 2 Timothy. At least to those people, it must still be in the future. But Paul doesn't say the last days are future. He says that perilous times are future in the last, are coming in the last days. It's not that the last, it's not the last days will come. It's in the last days, which I think we've already seen that we're in already, perilous times will come. So the kind of stuff he's talking about is future, but it's also the kind of stuff that was already happening. So why point out that, it's that this is what they can expect in the future? Well, maybe because they think things will be easier since Christ came, and they're not going to be. They're 
uh, they're going to be even worse. And so he's warning them that, and, and they'd already been suffering different kinds of persecution and so forth. He's warning them that things are only, as the last days progress, things just get worse. In the last days, there's perilous times that are already here, and they're going to keep coming. And the implication seems to me to be that they'll be even worse. A lot of people like this, and you've got to turn away from these kind of people. And, and what he means by that is don't be like them, don't live like them, don't adopt their li lifestyle. The proper thing to do is to witness to them, right? But turn away from their kind of living. That's the way I take this text. I think we can harmonize it with the previous text that indicate we're already in the last days very easily. Paul's not saying the last days are future. He's saying perilous times are coming in the last days and with the assumption we're already in them. Um, now, if you're one of those people that says, nah, I still think he's talking about last days that are future. Well, then I think you'd have to say something like this. Paul's saying that there are last days of the last days that are coming that are going to be even worse than the last days we're in now. If you want to take it that way, that's fine by me. It's no skin off my back and... We can agree to disagree and love on that. Um, and you could try to harmonize these two kinds of texts that way. That, I think that would be a legitimate attempt at that. I think to think it, to me, it makes more sense to, to assume that Paul believes we're in the last days, just like Peter did, and the author of Hebrews, which I suspect was Paul, but that's another issue, uh, believes we're in the last days. Uh, and then he's saying, in these last days, look what's going to happen. The same stuff that's always happened is going to happen. <laughs> or maybe worse. Hence the need for such a strong warning. Um, there's another text that I read the same way by Peter. And, and uh, Peter and Paul didn't disagree about whether or not we're in the last days, right? <laughs> uh, and we already know that Peter made it really clear he thinks we're in the last days. But in 2 Peter 3, he gives a similar type of admonition to what we've seen in 2 Timothy 3. He says in 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Now notice again, he doesn't say the last days will come. Peter thinks we're in the last days. But he's saying in the last days that we're all in, you need to be reminded about what's going to happen. Because he's, he's giving them reminders, he said. That scoffers will come in these last days, right? Walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And he reminds them that that's not exactly true. <laughs> There's been some pretty big catastrophic events that have come since creation. But, but the point that he wants to make here is that, and I think this is somewhat unique to the last days. It's in the last days that we're looking for the final, the second coming of Christ, right? It's in the last days that people will doubt that and that we can expect them to be coming um, there's, a, there's a heresy out there called uh, full preterism. There's a partial preterism that says part of 
the book of Revelation has already happened in AD 70 and, and that the tribulation happened then. But they say the second coming is still future. And that, that means they're not, they're still Orthodox Christians if they say that. But there's this full preterism view heresy out there that's gaining some traction on the internet where there are people professing to be Christians that saying that the second coming's already happened even. That's a little bit different than what Peter's saying here. But it's another way of saying they don't they question that Jesus is going to come again. There was one one time a period in time there was a guy in our church that said he believed that. And of course we wouldn't accept that. That that is heresy. Jesus has not come back yet. Folks, is this, if this is the new heavens and the new earth, I'm really disappointed. Because I'm still crying and I'm still dying. And I was told that that's not going to happen. <laughs> right? Uh, so, but you can see how twisted people can become in their reading of scriptures. So even those kind of people who profess to be Christians, they're scoffers too. And we, we have to be on our guard for that sort of thing. The second coming of Christ is our, is our blessed hope. <laughs> and, there, and the devil wants to rob us of that hope. Amen. That's part of the spiritual warfare we can expect in these last days. Because if these last days are about anything, they're about preaching the gospel to a lost and dying world as we await our Lord's return. And they're about waiting for our Lord's return. Being busy while we wait, but waiting for our Lord to come back. So, that's my take on the last days um, of this age and what they're about. Um, but there is a last day that the Bible also talks about. Um, the last day. And so I'd like to take uh, time to just consider a couple of passages in which the last day is mentioned, which would seem to me would be the final day of the last days is the last day, right? Um, Jesus spoke of this day in uh, several times, actually, a number of times. And we're just going to look at two of the passages in John, although I think in your notes you probably have several other others just from the Gospel of John that I've given you there. John 6, in verses 39 and 40, Jesus says this, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. We're in the last days, but there is a last day that's coming still. That's what's future. Not the last days, but the last day is future. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now we saw in our previous study, when we talked about this age and the age to come, that the resurrection comes at the end of this age, when Jesus returns. And I'll just give you one example from last week's uh, passages, or two weeks ago's passages that we looked at, right, in which this was clear. Uh, from Luke 20 uh, and verse 34 to 36, Jesus says, the sons of this age, which we're in, right, 
marrying or giving in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age, which, as we looked at last week, must refer to the age to come. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, we saw passages that spoke of the age to come and the resurrection of the dead. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So the last day is the final day both of the last days and of this age, right? We're in the last days of this age, awaiting the last day of this age and of the last days. And so we're not surprised to see that the last day and the end of the age are both spoken of in conjunction with the resurrection that is promised by our Lord Jesus. This great day is also frequently referred to as the day of the Lord. Actually, the day of the Lord, you can find it in the Old Testament in a number of places. Uh, uh, and in the New Testament, it tells us that that day of the Lord ultimately comes at Jesus' second coming. And so Paul can call it the day of the Lord or the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a number of passages in the Bible that speak of the day of the Lord in the Old and New Testament. But I'm just going to pick out one uh, that we can take some time to read where Paul speaks of the day of the Lord. And we know it's the last day he has in mind because it's when the resurrection happens. It's the last day. It's the end of the age. That's the day of the Lord. <clears throat> this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, where Paul says this. We're going to read into chapter 5. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. This is a euphemism for those who have died in Christ. They, they have Christian friends and family who've died. And he says, I don't want you uh, to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now notice he says, it's, it's not, he's not saying it's wrong to sorrow for fellow Christians who die. He doesn't want us to sorrow as, as those who have no hope. We sorrow, but we don't sorrow in the same way. There's a kind of joy mixed in with our sorrowing. And anybody who's had a, a, loving, uh, a loved one, rather, who's a believer, who's died, you know what that is like, to sorrow with hope. To have joy and sorrow mixed together in your heart. You're... you're you have sorrow that your loved one had to experience this horrible thing called death, which is a result of sin, and all the suffering that often goes together with dying. And you're in sorrow because you miss them so much, and you love them so much, but because you love them so much, you also have a joy for them in the midst of that, knowing that they're in the presence of the Lord, awaiting the resurrection. And... So, so you, you don't sorrow as those with no hope. Because the resurrection's coming, Paul says. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. 
Therefore, comfort one another another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, some of us are saying, well, I feel a need. (laughs) But but, uh, apparently, they didn't have a need uh, for that. And, And I guess we don't either. Or the Holy Spirit would have inspired Paul to write it down. But he says why they don't have the need. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And we know that too. But notice here, he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the second coming of Christ being when that will happen. And he's calling it the day of the Lord. This must be the same last day when Jesus said when he will raise us up. And and that's equivalent to the end of the age. So the last day of the last days of this age is the day of the Lord. This is how we put this all together. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, I think. And as I alluded to earlier, Paul elsewhere refers to our Lord's return on this day as our blessed hope. He says this in Titus 2, 11 through 13, where he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. We're in the last days of this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we live in these last days of this age, we look forward to the very last day of this age. The day of the Lord, when our Lord Jesus will return for us. In the meantime, we must seek to live godly lives in witness to his gracious and sovereign work of salvation in our lives. And it's it's my hope, as a result of all of this, that we've we've all gained a greater appreciation uh, through this study of just how important it is to live godly lives in the last days of this present age. Because as the world around us, we can expect over time, gets worse and worse, perhaps, Uh, we as Christians will stand out more and more. I mean, think about how bad things are now. People are deliberately deceiving themselves about what a man is or a woman is. Think about how we stand out now. We say, no, God created male and female. And that's it. (laughs) And uh, if a woman is confused about that and a man is confused about that, then it's because of sin. And they need help. Right? So think about how, how... the more this world goes to hell, literally, the more important it is that we stand out as witnesses for Christ. And I think Christians are afraid to stand out. They keep their mouths closed when all, with all this wokeness garbage going around far too often for fear. That's what, that's what the last days, that's what they're like, people. This is, we shouldn't be surprised by any of this nonsense that's going on, any of this demonic deception that we see all around us. Should we? No. But we, sh- we also shouldn't be scared. We shouldn't be cowards. We know the Savior and Lord of the universe. And he has saved us. 
and we're looking for his return, and we know it's going to happen, no matter what scoffers may say. And we have been given the Holy Spirit, and we are greatly privileged to be sons and daughters of God. We get to know him. We get to pray to him. We get to be filled with the Spirit. We get to proclaim the word of God. And we need not cower in fear. We expect the last days to be like this. And we know exactly how we're supposed to live in them. Godly lives. Lives where people look at us and they can see where our loyalty lies. It's with the King of the universe, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be afraid for them to see that. Now, I'm not saying that it will be easy. I'm not saying that we might not suffer great persecution as saints of old have done, and, and Christians are today. There's different kinds of persecution. Christians in America are suffering persecution in different ways than some other places around the world. But they're suffering it. It's going to be worse, I suspect. We need to have the right mindset about the times we live in and what's expected of us. Remember, Jesus is going to be with us to the end of this age throughout these last days. And that's... while we await his return, he's still with us because he's given us the Holy Spirit who communicates his presence to us, not just as a substitute for Christ, but brings us into real, the real presence of Christ. Jesus said in, in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We've got a president that could be reminded of that. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. Because he knows that's tough. He knows what the last days are like. He says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. All throughout the last days, who's with us? While we await his personal, visible, bodily return. Our Lord Jesus is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will be with us in person, of course, at the end of the age, when on the last day he returns and raises us from the dead. Unless, of course, uh, he returns while we're still alive. In which case, as we've seen from Paul, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So those of us who who are alive when he comes back, and I don't know when this is going to be, neither does anyone else. I don't care what they may say. Nobody knows. If we're alive when he returns, we get an added privilege. We don't have to die. But until that day, death is, is how we exit this world. And we'll sorrow when people do, when they exit. Few of us might exit sooner than we expected. 
But the rest of us, we won't sorrow as those who have no hope. There'll be deep joy mixed with our sorrow because of the promise of our Lord. So we get to have these kinds of promises in the last days. Let's pray. Holy Father, it's been my hope that I've been able to encourage our brothers and sisters here today. Uh, I tried to bring out some of the implications of these passages that we're reading and how, how I think, if we understand them in the, the larger context of Scripture, how we should apply them. Lord, it's, it's my prayer that you'll help each and every believer here to be strong and courageous. We are all tempted to be weak and to fear. We're all tempted to speak when we shouldn't and not speak when we should. We all have the same kind of temptations in these last days that we saw were warned about in all these passages. But we also all have the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that those saints had, that Paul had, that Peter had. We have the same spirit that will help us to overcome sin and to be faithful witnesses for Jesus. So help us to rely on you and to remember that your perfect love casts out fear. Help us to bask in your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And for anyone who doesn't know you as his or her Savior, it's our prayer that today you would please do for him or her what you've done for us. Through the power of your Spirit, I pray you will open their eyes that they may see. They may understand Jesus for who he really is as the one who died on the cross for sinners and rose from the dead that we might have everlasting life. And all they have to do is trust in him as the risen Savior, and he will save them from their sins, give them forgiveness and everlasting life and the same blessed hope that the rest of us share. We'll give you all the glory for what you do as a result of this teaching and in answer to these prayers because we're convinced that you and you alone deserve all the glory. We ask all these things, as always, in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Amen. Thank you all once again for your kind attention.